Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. I appreciate you stopping by and downloading this week's episode. If you're a newcomer to the show, then welcome aboard. If you're a returning listener, then thank you for your continued support. And obviously, if you're a patron, patrons can't do the show without you. So I really, really appreciate some of you have been on board for years now. Some of you just come and go and uh, others are new to being a, a patron. I appreciate all of you. Go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show for all the information on how to become a patron and what you get out of it. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It is absolutely the best beef jerky that you've ever had. It's definitely the best beef jerky I've ever had. Three Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. But if you happen to live in Western Canada, then go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. It's going to be a short intro segment because I want to get the show out ASAP as uh, round three in the CHL playoffs, round two in the USHL playoffs, round one continues in the null. The AJHL final is wrapping up and everybody is playing tonight. So I want to get this out as soon as possible. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's Friday afternoon. Have a bunch of guests uh, on the show today, three of them, and we're going to cover the WHL, the OHL, and the USHL with them. So we're going to skip those three leagues in this intro, and we'll uh, we'll start with the the Q, as it's shaping up to be a fantastic conference final. We've got Gatineau in Quebec to take on the Remparts, and Sherbrooke is on the road. They are beginning their series in Halifax against the Mooseheads. Sounds like they're expecting potentially a record crowd in Quebec uh, for a Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, playoff game. Of course, the Ramparts play in an NHL-sized facility, build it, and they will come. Well, they haven't come yet, uh, that being the NHL, but uh, fantastic that they might get a crowd upwards and over 17,000 tonight to watch the Ramparts and the Olympique play. And that should be a fantastic series. I think most people are picking Gatineau. And most people are probably picking Sherbrooke in the other series, uh, but you got four teams that had over a hundred points this year. I, that's that's fantastic. That's Thunderdome. Four teams enter, one team eventually is going to leave and go to Kamloops. 
going to be exciting hockey. The uh, statistical scoring leaders in the queue right now, Zach Dean from Gatineau has 23 points. Joshua Arois of Sherbrooke has 21. Then you've got Josh Lawrence from Halifax with 19. Riley Kidney with Gatineau with 18. And Etienne Moran of the Moncton Wildcats uh, ended up with 17 points. Of course, the Wildcats are now done. Moving over to the AJHL, the uh, that could wrap up actually tonight as the Brooks Bandits have a 3-1 to series lead and are at home tonight against the Saints of Spruce Grove. It, the uh, fourth game went to overtime, 2-1, the Brooks Bandits winning that game. So we were that close to having a tie in the AJHL, uh, but it looks like Brooks with a 3-1 lead. I'd be surprised if they weren't able to close that one out and uh, probably, well, at least potentially, that will be tonight, uh, the fourth game. Uh, quite often the hardest to win, though. Just ask the Red Deer Rebels. In the North American Hockey League, uh, it's a best of three in the first round. Two teams are already through. They both come from the East Division. Maryland and Maine uh, will meet in round two. The Maine Nordiques knocking off the defending champs in their first round series. Elsewhere, Austin and St. Cloud lead their series uh, 2 nothing and uh, could advance and meet each other in the next round. Uh, same thing in the Midwest, Wisconsin and Minnesota. Oklahoma has two wins in the South Division, uh, and Sherbrooke and Lone Star, that's the only series in the first round guaranteed right now to be going four games because they split the first two, one game apiece. A couple college hockey notes. Don Vaughn, the head coach of the Colgate Raiders, has announced that he is uh, retiring after 30 years. What a way to go out, though, his first ever ECAC Tournament championship uh, with the Raiders this year. Also saw that Alex Young, who is uh, their leading scorer, San Jose Sharks draft pick, has entered the transfer portal. Makes me wonder about Carter Guylander, and I haven't seen if he has done so or not, uh, but he's their netminder. As of recording right now, I just checked, uh, Guylander has not entered the transfer portal. And as far as I know, I should look that up too. I don't believe Detroit has signed him yet, so he would be back as a senior next year at Colgate if he doesn't transfer or if he doesn't sign with the Detroit Red Wings, who drafted him. Uh, and an interesting story from uh, Adam Woden, who you've heard here on the Pipeline Show many times. He's the boss over at College Hockey News, who's making the case, and I think it's a pretty good case. Uh, Miami apparently is uh, making some moves or at least declaring some interest in uh, going to the CCHA, leaving the NCHC. That would leave that conference with seven teams. Uh, but Arizona State would be a natural good fit there for that conference. Very competitive team in a very competitive conference. And uh, Adam Woden has the story there. More of an opinion piece. I don't know if th that's actually going to happen or not, but uh, the way he outlines it makes a lot of sense to me. Anyway, that's it for the news and notes. A uh, reminder that all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. That's the tap room and the brewery located in Red Deer. Outstanding beverages. Any chance I get for people who are from out of province when they come to Alberta, and I know that they're craft beer drinkers, I direct them to get some Troubled Monk, and uh, I always hear positive feedback on that, so great to hear. Uh, go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and check out all the different beverages that they have available. Always lots of different seasonals when they uh, when they come out, such as right now the Canadian Tuxedo Pilsner, the Salty Beaches Grapefruit Agave Wheat Ale. They have a light Scottish ale that they've called Never Gets Old, and many others. That's troubledmonk.com. All right, my guest this week, we're going to start in the Ontario Hockey League, and Mike Farwell is the voice of the Kitchener Rangers, down to four teams in the OHL. 
We're going to see Peterborough taking on the North Bay Battalion and in the Western Conference, the London Knights and the Sarnia Sting. And Mike does a terrific job of uh, setting up those two series. And we talk a little bit about the OHL priority selection that went earlier this week as well. From there, we'll go to the Western Hockey League and Nick Merrick, the outstanding voice of the Portland Winterhawks, is going to tee up the Kamloops Seattle series as well as Winnipeg against Saskatoon, the two conference championship series that are in the Western Hockey League. And now that we know the Saginaw Spirit will host the Memorial Cup in Michigan next year, does that renew interest in an American franchise in the WHL doing the same down the road? There's five of them in the WHL. I'll ask Nick about that as well. And uh, we will close things out this week with uh, Jordan McAlpine from the Rink Live. We're going to talk about the USHL playoffs. And I'll forewarn you, there's a little bit of ranting in that segment, uh, mostly from me, a little from Jordan, though, because the USHL has done some really peculiar things in the last, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. And I go off a little bit. Uh, So fair warning about that. Uh, But we're going to start things off with the OHL Conference Preview with Mike Farwell, the voice of the Kitchener Rangers. He's up first on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Jameson starting out of his own zone for the London Knights. Now a pass to Kachuk inside the blue line. Kachuk waits, scores! Matthew Kachuk! The Knights win the Memorial Cup! I'm Mitch Marner of the London Knights. It's Max Jones. It's Cliff Booth. Hey, it's Ole Horvath. Hey, this is Andrea Stephanistiu. Style of Parsons. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights, and you are listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody! Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best, and you can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to their website. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're out of luck, uh, which means I have to apologize to my next guest uh, because uh, Mike Farwell is uh, the voice of the Kitchener Rangers, but outside of the Wilhawk Beef Jerky uh, target radius, I guess you could call it. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? You do this just to rub it in, don't you? I do. Because I remember the last time I was on with you. I'm like, I want my Wilhawk Beef Jerky. And you're like, you can't get it. And one of these days. One of these days, a shipment's going to arrive at my door. I know it's going to happen. Yeah, I might be driving the truck that brings it to you. That might have to be the, <laughs> <laughs> the way we work that out. Uh, well, hey, let's uh, let's dive into what's happening in the OHL because there's lots. Obviously, it's playoff season, but the OHL priority selection just happened as well, and uh, that's always a big deal. I, I love drafts of any kind. The problem with the even the WHL draft, I don't know the kids. Before they get to the CHL, that's when I get to know them. It's before that. I have no idea who these guys are, but you're a lot closer to it than than I am for sure, uh, especially uh, in your role as the voice of the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, tell me about the uh, the priority selection this year and 
And uh, if there are some some big happenings, big trades at, at all, or if uh, there were some big selections, what stood out for you? Well, I'll I'll say this much uh, off the top: you and me both, when it comes to when the kids get to the CHL, that's when we get to learn so much more about them. And the work in the CHL keeps us so busy that it's tough to keep up with the guys that are coming in to the CHL. But mm-hmm. I will tell you this about the draft over here in the O this year, and that was by all accounts there was a pretty deep pool in the early rounds, maybe first couple, and then it tailed off, according to most people that observe it uh, much more closely than I. But one of the things that really jumped out at me was the Erie Otters with the first overall selection going with Matt Schaefer. Maybe not a huge surprise by the time draft day came along, but three, two, maybe three months earlier, people were looking at Ryan Rubrick as almost the de facto number one coming into this draft, and, and his stock fell just a little bit. So Matt Schaefer gets the nod and he's a nice elite D who will fit in very nicely with a guy like Stan Butler, who's back in the Ontario hockey league coached in Prince George back in the day as well for a season. But Stan Butler rehired into the league this year by the Erie Otters and just loves his defensive hockey. That's always been his calling card. So maybe doesn't make, uh, it makes a lot of sense that they'd go in that direction with Schaefer, but Rubrik then falls to number two and goes to Niagara and then just selfishly, because he hails from the community where I live, not right in the city of Kitchener, but in the geographic area we call Waterloo Region, mm-hmm. a young fellow from the town of Elmira by the name of Brady Martin, who went third overall to Sault Ste. Marie. And, and this kid was just terrific for the Waterloo Wolves this past season, where he was a, a standout at the OHL Cup. Waterloo surprised some teams by making the Final Four at the OHL Cup, and then he helped lead his team as the captain to the Alliance Championship this past season. So we're really happy for the local kid, and a lot of eyes were on him. He becomes the highest ever player drafted out of Waterloo minor hockey here in our area. So it was pretty cool for him to see. And then, you know, there were a couple of other things that stand out. We had a couple of teams with two first-round picks this year. Mm -hmm. So those were compensatory picks because last year their first-rounder did not report and in the event that happens and another team can attract that first rounder the team that lost the first rounder essentially gets to the following year so the niagara ice dogs had taken sam dickinson who ended up going to the london knights so the the crazy thing for the ice dogs is they got a really nice package in return for sam dickinson who played for london this year right and is still playing for that matter and then they get two first-rounders this year to make up for the one that they lost. The same thing happened with the Kitchener Rangers when their first-rounder from a year ago, Michael Hagg, did not report. Uh, the Sudbury Wolves took a flyer on him, thought they might be able to get him to report. Uh, I think the Rangers got like a sixth-rounder, maybe a conditional pick after that. Anyway, Hagg didn't report, but because he didn't and another team took him, the Kitchener Rangers get a, a compensatory pick as well. So if I'm honest with you, Gee. This has been happening more often of late, and I think it might be a loophole that the league's going to have to close because getting oh. two first rounders is is a pretty nice boost to your organization. For sure, it absolutely is, and I think that's well. Kitchener's always a more often than not a competitive team and in the mix anyway. But Niagara, this was a big draft for them, right? Because I mean, new ownership or recently getting new ownership and struggling in the standings and. Uh, this this was starting to build up like this was a pretty important draft. Now they got to draft well, but they also got to convince those guys to report. Any chance that both of those won't happen with the crop that they took this year? 
Uh, I can say for sure, at least based on what I've heard, that it sounds as though Ryan Rubrick will. So he's the guy that went second overall when the Ice Dogs picked him. And and if I'll just lay it on the line for you, it's been it's been a bumpy transition for new ownership in Niagara. The team needed it because the old ownership had very much fallen out of favor. Yeah. Not to mention had been sanctioned heavily. So it was time for the Burke family to essentially be moved on from the league. But I, I, I only know Darren De, uh, De pardon me for a season now in the league, but from the outside looking in Guy, it, it really seemed as though he was kind of treating the team like a, a fantasy team. I, I think I lost track at 27 Markham, 27 trades he made. Huh through the course of the season. He, on two occasions, acquired a player and then traded him away within the course of this past season. It, it was a little bit on the bizarre side, mm. what was going on there. I do like the hire he has made now with Ryan Kuwabara as his new head coach, and we'll see if that kind of gets things straightened out. Maybe there were some jitters. I don't know, but it, it wasn't the, the best look for the ice dogs this past season, but I know their, their second overall pick and their first, first rounder Ryan Rubrick is going to report. And hopefully from there, they can, they can start getting on the right track here because it wasn't a great debut for a new ownership group. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, just the Americans that were drafted. And I'm always intrigued by that for the, for the Canadian hockey league, whether it's the Q or the WHL, uh, but in the OHL, you're that close. You got a couple of teams, uh, three teams in the States, two of them right in Michigan. Uh, the London Knights uh, in the first round drafting a uh, a pretty big name player uh, that's uh, supposed to be headed to the U.S. National Development Program, I believe, in William Moore. Uh, what did you make of that? I make of that if any team can attract a player from any other program to come <laughs> and play for them, it's the London Knights. They just they they have a way, and lots of fans and some others uh, like to think that there are. There are ways that might be outside the rules that the London Knights make that happen. But I think if that was the case, quite frankly, uh, it would have been uncovered by now because I just mentioned Niagara that was rightfully sanctioned for, you know, misdeeds off the ice and recruitment. The Windsor Spitfires have before in the past. It's never happened to the London Knights. So either they're really good at hiding it or fans just like to pick on them because they're the top of the heap and have been for the past two decades. But all of that is to say, I, I really just believe that they they do run like I understand why fans of 19 teams dislike the London Knights, but they run a top notch organization from the bottom right up. You're going to get a, a great arena to play in. You're going to get 9,000 fans in there. The, the organization, the hunters specifically take very good care of you insofar as you just looked after. They treat players like their kids. So if any organization is able to do it, I think it's going to be the London Knights. The, the Kitchener Rangers took a, a kid in the first round this year as well that had been playing uh, in the States last year with Bishop Kearney. But it's it's a little bit of a different thing. You know, it's not like he's highly touted and expected to go to the uh, to the US NDP. He might, might be considering some USHL options. But uh. nonetheless, uh, they're pretty confident that they'll be able to attract him. And, and last year, the Rangers had trouble in that regard. A couple of players that they had, including Michael Haig, the first rounder who didn't report uh, was an American kid or, or had U.S. interests. So it, it happens sometimes. The Rangers feel confident this time around. And in London's case, they're just the kind of organization that can make something like that work for them. And sometimes it doesn't happen at the U-17 year, but maybe a year after that. And Hunter Brustevich is a perfect example for the Kitchener Rangers, right? 
That is a great example. And he, of course, was originally drafted by the Barry Colts and the Rangers swung a pretty significant deal. And I can tell you here in Kitchener that fans were raising eyebrows thinking like, why are you trading away so much? Some of it conditional, mind you, on Brustevich actually showing up in Kitchener. But still, at the time, considering where the Rangers were at, a lot of fans were saying, what on earth are you doing? But (laughs) by all accounts, we were told that if it works out, this player is worth it. And I'm going to tell you right now, B, the player was worth it. He yeah. was really fun to watch this year. And and I think you're going to be hearing Hunter Brustevich's name very early in the second round at the NHL draft this summer, maybe even late in the first round, probably early second, but this kid's a top 50 player in my opinion. Now, another name that jumped out at me was William Horkoff. It's Sean Horkoff's kid, uh, Sean Horkoff, longtime Edmonton Oiler. I'm in Edmonton, so it kind of has that connection. Uh, but uh, Horkoff, I believe, is uh, he's he working for the Detroit Red Wings now. I think that was the case. His son, William, is supposed to be going to the development program. Drafted, though, by the Saginaw Spirit, which is interesting because it's a Michigan-based team, so he's kind of got that uh, near-home connection at least. And they're hosting the Memorial Cup next year, which is outstanding, awesome, uh, in my opinion, by the way, that American team finally gets to do it again. And now I'd, I'm not expecting that you know what uh, William Horkoff is going to do, but Do you think a a team that's hosting has sort of an advantage, maybe uh, when it comes to recruiting players from, you know, a situation like trying to bring Americans up? First thing I will say is that I love seeing players of former players come through the league, but that just goes to show how old you and I are getting. So let's not forget that part, right? (laughs) But um, I do think, I, I really do think that the host team with the guaranteed berth in the Canadian Junior Hockey Championship, whether it's a U.S.-based team or not, is a huge drawing card when it comes to recruitment. I mean, there was a lot of talk this season. I thought that Saginaw was the the odds-on favorite to host, but Sault Ste. Marie was getting a lot of buzz and, and some of the talk around Saginaw, you know, being in Saginaw's favor for the the right to host next year was around Michael Nisa, who, of course, came into the league as a 15-year-old, the the quote-unquote exceptional player here in the Ontario Hockey League. And up until now, there has never been a franchise that drafted an exceptional player that was also a Memorial Cup host. It didn't happen with Connor McDavid, didn't happen with John Tavares, didn't happen, and I could keep going down the list of Aaron Ekblad, of the exceptional player. So the, the tournament matters. The, the championship absolutely matters. And, and the opportunity to play in it when it's just down to those four teams and you're playing for the, the Memorial Cup, I, I think it's absolutely a selling feature. And, and I would be I would be surprised, frankly. And, and Dave Drinkle over there in, in Saginaw really does his work as the general manager. So I, I'm sure he's got a, a pretty good idea of, of how likely it is that Horkoff shows up in Saginaw. Mike Farwell is the voice of the Kitchener Rangers joining me here on the Pipeline Show. We've uh, spent a lot of time on the OHL draft. Uh, we got to get to the playoffs. And uh, to just to quickly touch on what's happened with the Rangers, a terrific four-game sweep uh, to start the playoffs over the number one-ranked Windsor Spitfires. Uh, from the outside looking in, that's a huge upset. Um, I'll get your uh, your take on that. And then again, obviously what happened against the London Knights to drop it in five games against the Knights. Uh, what what happened with the, the Rangers here in the playoffs? I think what happened in the playoffs, Key, was a microcosm of the entire season. It was as frustrating a season as, as I've ever personally seen the Rangers go through, just considering what the expectation was 
and how it all ended up. And, and really the expectation was that this team, which had a veteran roster from the get-go and more pieces, veteran pieces added to it through the season, the idea was that this team was going to be competing for a championship. And for one reason or another, it just never got on track for the Kitchener Rangers this year. They brought in a brand new head coach who had been an assistant in Barry the year before. Chris Dennis also had about a decade with the Leafs organization as a, as a video coach. And it just didn't work out 47 games in, they had to fire him. General manager, Mike McKenzie comes back in behind the bench. And it was just this real roller coaster of a season. And then you talk about that huge upset in the first round. It was historic. It was only the fifth time in history that a bottom seed has beaten in OHL history. Pardon me, that a, that a lowest seed has beaten a top seed, but it's the first time ever it happened in a sweep And a lot of people were then saying, well, this is the Rangers we expected all season long because they were dominant. And then in the second round, they were exactly the opposite. They they did win a game, but they weren't in any of the other four. And it was a a real head scratcher how they went from so high in the sweep of Windsor to so low in getting shut out in back-to-back games to end their series uh, in five against London. So tough season for the Kitchener Rangers, a real roller coaster. And, and for the hardcore passionate fans, they're looking at that first round saying, Hey, our team made history this year. And for the fans that were having a tough time on that roller coaster, they thought, well, we knew this was going to happen the whole way. That's all we expected. That's typical, I guess. It's good to have passionate fans, but it was a tough year for them. The OHL has four teams left. So does the Q and the WHL. Interestingly, in both of those leagues, it's the top four teams from the regular season that have all made it to the uh, to the semifinals in the, in the uh, their respective league. That's not the same in the OHL. The number one seed in the East and the Western Conference both knocked off uh, in the uh, playoffs already. So we've got London taking on Sarnia and North Bay against Peterborough. And I know you told me a few days ago that uh, at the end of the regular season you predicted it'd be North Bay and Sarnia in the finals. So you're still uh, playing with uh, you got a winning lottery ticket there. Yeah, if it was uh, if it was March Madness, I'd still have a shot here coming down to the final. But uh, I really like the way both of these series shape up. Guy, They're, they call it the 402 series between London and Sarnia because it's Highway 402 basically that just separates the two teams. And there is a a strong dislike between the London Knights and Sarnia Sting that goes back a number of years now. And the Sarnia Sting, as much as London has had mastery over the Ontario Hockey League and many of its opponents over the years. The Sarnia Sting have traditionally seemed to find a way. The other thing I really like, well, I'll, I'll give you one point from each team. The Sarnia Sting are currently further in the playoffs that they, than they have ever been in their franchise history. They had never, they had been to the second round, but never advanced past it before. Really? Including the years they had Steven Stamkos. Yeah, it's wild to think about. But in, what, 25 years, they never got out of the second round. Wow. So, and that includes, yeah, that includes the years they had Stephen Stamkos playing for them. So they're in uncharted territory, but they are also where people expected them to be. It's a really well-built hockey club. And the London Knights are just a real, it's a good story. You know, if you're looking for storylines coming into this season, everybody thought two things. It's a bit of a rebuild for the London Knights and where are the goals going to come from? And well, here they are going to another conference final uh, and kind of doing it by committee. They added some nice pieces, but really just doing it by committee, playing a very tight defensive style of hockey. But but here they are. So two teams that genuinely don't like one another and the Sarnia Sting in, in a pretty interesting place that they've never been before. Well, if you're Sarnia and you're looking at London, 
What's the game plan? How do you beat the London Knights? And I guess we could reverse that as well. If you're London, how do you beat Sarnian? And I guess knowing the game plan is different than being able to execute it. At least you know what you need to try to do, but whether either team can actually accomplish well, that task is is a different story. But uh, how do you beat London and how do you beat Sarnia? Yeah, I think the key for both teams really is going to be staying out of the penalty box because both teams have rather lethal power plays. Maybe London's just a notch above where Sarnia is. But the Sting are just such a well-built team and they're such a deep team. There are terrific goaltenders on both sides. So I, I think the key for Sarnia is if they can jump on the Knights early in any game and force the Knights out of their typical system. Because again, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not an exciting brand of hockey to me at all that the London Knights play. I, I guess winning is the ultimately most exciting thing, but mm-hmm. they just if they get a lead on you, they will lock it down and you might as well just put your feet up and take a nap because they, they can shut it down like with the best of them. So I think if Sarnia can get early leads and, and force the Knights to open up a little bit, then they're going to find some success here. But it, it should be a, a real good battle and a couple of well-coached teams with Dale Hunter in London and Al Letang over in Sarnia. And on the other side, uh, again, uh, not the number one seed as uh, the Ottawa 67s were knocked off by Peterborough in round two. Uh, so you got the Peets taking on the North Bay Battalion. Uh, North Bay, the last team to uh, get to the conference final here just a, a couple of days ago. Uh, how do you size up this matchup? I really like it for a couple of reasons. On the North Bay side, I mentioned Stan Butler earlier, who is uh, now the coach in with the Erie Otters, the former uh, Prince George Cougar coach. But yeah. when he was in the Ontario Hockey League, sorry? Uh, I remember that. Yes, he was. Uh, I just yeah. <laughs> I randomly dropped that one in there. He took me by surprise. <laughs> I keep up with my dump. No, actually, just guys that went through it and came back to the O. But uh, Stan Butler spent most of, well, the lion's share of his time in the Ontario Hockey League with the battalion organization. So when he left a few years ago, you, you just wondered, like, what was the transition going to look like? What was the future? And, and here the future is is right now with Adam Dennis as the general manager and Ryan Olihan as the coach. And I, I think they've really built a nice team there in North Bay. Perry gave him a seven-game scare uh, in the semifinals, but North Bay wins it to advance. And it's Again, just a, a pretty deep team with solid goaltending. What I love about the Peterborough Peets this year is this is one of the traditional Ontario Hockey League teams, uh, nine OHL championships. So they've been to nine Memorial Cups. But they've only won one of them. They've only won one along the way. And so there's a, a little bit of lovable loser in them for such a, a proud and traditional franchise. And really of late, even when they... Uh, even when they tease you with something good is about to happen, they end up letting you down. And and they were, in my opinion, the Eastern Conference version of the Kitchener Rangers this year. Everything was there on paper, but things just weren't going the way everybody expected them to go. They did finish the regular season higher than the Rangers in the standings. And much like Kitchener, who found it in the first round, but then lost it again in the second, Peterborough seems to have found it, and they knocked off the regular season point champion, Ottawa 67s, in the semifinals, and they did it in six games. So it's it's fun to watch this team that was a little bit of an enigma through the regular season really finding its stride in the playoffs, and I, I think we're in for a dandy in the Eastern Conference, too. Well, if you pick North Bay and Sarnia at the end of the regular season, now that we've had a month's worth of playoffs, do you still feel those are the two teams that eventually meet in the final, or has anything changed here? 
I'm a dance with the girl that brung you guys. So <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. And, you know, as much as I do like London and Peterborough and what they offer, I, I will still give the nod to North Bay and Sarnia. And then I'll go buy a lottery ticket. Is travel a, a big issue in the OHL when it comes to the playoffs? I know it's something that we deal with here in the in the Western Hockey League. Uh, for sure, the footprint of the league is a lot bigger. Uh, and uh, I think even in the queue, uh, they have some matchups that can be problematic in that regard as well. But in, in general, in the OHL, does, does travel and fatigue become an issue? I, I would be, no. I'm just going to say it that way. I, we've got nothing to complain about in the O compared to the other leagues, period. And uh, And this time around, I mean... London played a team in the first round that was two hours away from it. The team they played in the second round was one hour away. Uh, no, these guys have had it relatively easy travel wise. And, and these series line up really well geographically. Peterborough and North Bay uh, have a further distance to go, but London and Sarnia are about an hour away from each other. So it's, it's nothing. It's a stone's throw between the two teams. So I don't think anybody's worn down by. By too much playoff travel. Wow, you guys are soft. We're so spoiled. Eh? It's terrible. Yeah. I don't. I'm not even a guy who has to go on the bus. I just wish, you know, from a, a just a an in, a fan perspective, I wish I could go see four or five different teams within a couple of hours. Not even close to that. It, this is the best place I would say in in all of Canada for junior hockey in terms of the number of teams. Like in southern Ontario, where I am, and, and right in the middle, really, of, of Windsor and the, the Toronto area in, here in Kitchener. I mean, my goodness, within three hours, if you're willing to go three hours, you can, uh, you're probably taking in 12 or 14 teams oh in this God. league. It's wild. Mike, I'm hanging up on you. Holy cow. <laughs> Listen, I don't blame you. I wouldn't blame you one bit. Man, like if you're in Prince George, your closest team is Kamloops, and that's six hours. Yeah. Well, and, Every once in a while, I make the mistake, Guy, of, of you know, sounding woe is me on Twitter because I had to do a five-hour or the worst <laughs> bus trip I do is eight hours from Kitchener to the Sioux. And everyone, like, when I make that mistake, my friends from the queue and from the dub are like, Farwell, shut up. Yeah. I just got back from a you know, eight-day bender. So I'm yeah. like, I, I get it. I totally get it. Exactly. All right. Mike, this was terrific. It was great to catch up once again. I appreciate you making time like this. Uh, I, I can't wait to have you back on the show. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Thanks a lot, Key. I look forward to it every time, and I really appreciate you having me on. The one and only, the lovely and talented Mike Farwell, voice of the Kitchener Rangers, with a uh, great recap of the OHL priority selection as well as what's happened thus far in the playoffs and uh, what's to come here in round three. Who are you taking? Let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Uh, I'm going to go with him. I'm taking uh, Sarnia and North Bay. But I'm kind of curious about the Peterborough Peets. They seem to be playing with uh, some magic right now. And you can never count out the London Knights, can you? So it should be a great conference finals in the Ontario Hockey League and also in the WHL. And that's where we're headed next. Nick Merrick is the voice of the Portland Winterhawks. we got four juggernaut teams left in the Western Hockey League. We'll get to know them and what Nick expects Next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. The Blazers, Stankoven, left wing, trying to work around Dory. And does uh, Stankoven and shoots! From his knees, Stankoven goes top cheese. And this is the Pipeline Show.
compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I can't sugarcoat this. We're at threat level midnight. We're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program brought to you, of course, by Wilhock Beef Jerky. You can get it anywhere in western Canada, three locations in the Edmonton area. Uh, but if you go to their website, that's wilhockbeefjerky.com, they will ship it to you any order, any size, anywhere in western Canada. But like my guest in the previous segment, who is in Ontario, can't get it. Neither can my guest in this segment as we're headed to the United States. And uh, Nick Merrick, he's the voice of the Portland Winterhawks as we get into the WHL playoffs and uh, the conference finals getting set to go this weekend. Uh, Nick, always great to have you on the Pipeline Show. Welcome back. How are things? Gee, really appreciate it. Things are great. Um, I guess they could be better. Yeah. It would be nice if the Portland Winterhawks were still competing this time of year. But uh, you know, to go through another full successful season and, and still get to watch some hockey and turning into the NHL Stanley Cup and everything going around with the craziness of the CHL playoffs and the Western Hockey League. It's just, it, this is the best time of the year for our sports. So uh, ultimately things are really good. Yeah, I understand completely. Uh, let's, uh, but we're going to talk about the playoffs specifically and about the Winterhawks and, and the four teams that are left. Uh, but one story that's coming, kind of come out and it's, it's piqued my interest a lot because it's been something I've been keen on for the last number of years is uh, an American team hosting the Memorial Cup again. It hasn't happened forever. And, the uh, Saginaw Spirit out of the Ontario Hockey League will be doing that next year, and that just kind of reinvigorates uh, my desire to see one of the WHL American-based franchises getting a chance to do that. And Josh Kreitzer, who uh, writes covers the Winterhawks and has done so for a long time, he had a conversation with uh, the owner of the team, and the owner says that he really wants to do it too. That's that's perfect. That's really exciting. It's exactly what I wanted to hear. Nick, tell me and tell the audience how, how successful Portland could do at hosting a Memorial Cup. Well, it would be a really good situation for Portland. It would be a good situation for the WHL as a whole and then the CHL just to kind of prove it after the Saginaw Memorial Cup in 24 that it could be done back in the States. Because I, th- I think you're right. There's, you know, for whatever reasons, maybe it's uh, kind of sponsorship dollars with Canadian markets that couldn't get it over here or whatnot. But, you know, there's, there's some great rinks, great facilities, great fan bases. You have everything you need from hotel accommodations to, uh, you know, major sponsors that would get involved, good television networks for, you know, TSN to, to come down and, and uh, you know, be able to broadcast those games. Uh, in Portland specific, I mean, you know, we maybe have one of the most unique situations of all the teams um, kind of throughout the CHL because there's two rinks within a walking distance of one another. Yep. And, you know, one's obviously um, held by the Portland Trailblazers of the NBA for the majority of the season, but, you know, they can convert that into ice anytime. So you basically have two rinks that would be able to work. I'd imagine if a Memorial Cup were to ever come to Portland, it'd probably be something where the Veterans Memorial Coliseum would kind of become more of a practice rink and maybe the home base for the four teams. And the uh, Moda Center might be where all the primetime games actually happen. So you can kind of have like work two sheets. And they've done that many a times with the college basketball scene, obviously with Nike being here, Phil Knight always invites in all the prestigious, you know, college uh, basketball teams from the UNC's and Dukes and Kentucky's and Kansas and Oregon's and, uh, you know, 
gets to house them in, in, you know, essentially the Veterans Memorial Coliseum where the Winterhawks play. So if they could do it at that level, there's, you know, really no denying they could be able to do it at our level as well in, in junior hockey. Um, but I feel like this will be the right step in 24 to see what Saginaw does. It's obviously a team that's built kind of for it next year too, exposure-wise, which will be really fun to see. And, and you always get some high-end prospects there. But you're right. I mean, as I was talking, I, I, you know, I have a little bit of a recency bias as well. But the last time before Saginaw was in the States was 1998. So it's yep. been a while. And that was actually when Portland won the Memorial Cup in Spokane. So there were two U.S. teams then competing for it. Um, you know, obviously, I guess you got a 50-50 shot then of, of uh, <laughs> one of those teams winning the cup if you just want to look on averages. But I think it'll be a big step. I'm really excited to see how this is going. I'm really appreciative, too, uh, you know, just from a media perspective to see how committed the CHL is as a whole and, the, you know, the commissioners being able to discuss and the general managers getting involved and everyone kind of piecing it in. And that's what I would say when the Saginaw News came out, too. I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that the U.S. teams and their general managers and the front offices were kind of having chatter about that because it's big news. It hasn't happened in 25-plus years. So this will be really big for the sport. Um, obviously, there, I'm sure there's still some things to work out, and you got a year to figure it out for the Saginaw market, but uh, I'm sure they're going to do an excellent job. And like you said, Guy, I'm just excited to see if any of the U.S. teams do actually have a chance in three years when it's up for the WHL again. Uh, if they go into the bid process, yeah, I would, uh, I would hope so. I, I think that would be fantastic for the league and for the CHL and and for hockey in the Pacific Northwest to uh, uh, just to have it uh, a tournament of that stature uh, there once again. That would be terrific. All right, let's get to the uh, WHL playoffs and and more current events. We'll focus on the Winterhawks first. That, that's a team I thought, man, this is a really exciting club. I love the fact that it was. Was it a hundred percent, almost a hundred percent homegrown, like guys drafted or or listed by the Winterhawks uh, that that got it to this was. team to the playoffs? I mean, that's incredible. Hundred percent. The the only asterisk you could put there is technically Diego Butazzoni, who is a sixteen year old rookie this year. Uh, you know, drafted by Medicine Hat, second round pick in the in the prospects draft then, but never played a game for Medicine Hat. Mm-hmm. So the Winterhawks were able to acquire him before and then sign. So it was kind of one of those mixtures where uh, he came to the league by signing with Portland and then got a full wealth of experience and actually was one of the top producing forwards come the playoff run. So there's a little asterisk there because it wasn't drafted by Portland, but everyone else was either listed or played only games in Portland, which is very impressive. Like you said, it was a younger group this year. I feel like it goes a little bit under the radar, especially for myself, because I, I knew there were some veterans that came back from that Seattle playoff series two years ago when they lost in game seven after having a three, one series lead. So you kind of think like, well, you know, there's at least a dozen players that have experience there. But then when I just look at the stats, the Winterhawks were the third youngest playoff team of the 16 teams that made the WHL playoffs. So there's a chance for them to grow. They're getting a big bulk of their production back, um, which is kind of the big storyline, obviously, moving into this summer is 90% of the scoring is, is going to be returned to the team. You're going to have to replace a long you know, veteran goaltender and Dante Genutzi, who's played in over 100 career games in net. Um, but if Jan Spoonar, assuming he comes back more than capable of taking over that, you know, number one starting load from the beginning. Um, and then it's, it's interesting because there's a little bit more where the players know the systems, they know what they're going into. And it was an exciting time. I think the players, you know, they always leave with a sour taste in their mouth because only one team of the 22 is going to end the season happy. But, sure. you know, it's good, good to get those growing experiences and for some of the players who are going into their draft years, they can kind of reflect on what it takes to go to the next level. And, what Mike Johnson told me, too, is he's like, we've never played a team that's hosted the Memorial Cup. So we're looking at Kamloops saying, okay, that's the team that it might take to get there. 
So from a general manager side, he's probably thinking, okay, this is how they connected the pieces. And he's got some good friends on their coaching staff that he can maybe pick the brains of in the off season time, but then just visibly seeing it on the ice, what they brought to it, to the table. Uh, it's kind of just a good benchmark to set for Portland. If they want to be able to make a deeper run next season. Well, five games to get past the Everett Silver Tips in the opening round, and uh, I mean those were some fun games to watch. And then the uh, the big series against the Kamloops Blazers over and four. And uh, I mean, I guess you look at that Kamloops team, and not a surprise that they won the series. I think, and for a lot of the reasons you just talked about, Portland was really young, but not accustomed to seeing uh, the the Winterhawks get manhandled in a couple of those games. Five nothing, ten four in that that last game. Uh, what do you take away from that series in regards to how good Kamloops is? They're very good. I mean, that, that's a very deep Kamloops team. Um, maybe it goes under the radar a little bit based on all the deadline moves that were made. You know, the biggest splash there was Olin Zellweger and Ryan Hofer, but mm-hmm. I can make an argument that their team is based around Logan Stankov and Olin Zellweger. And if you lose one of those pieces, not necessarily they're, they aren't going to be in trouble, but they're going to lose that much. Like there is so much production that those two players bring at the junior level. It's, it's unbelievable. Like they most likely could be called up to the NHL and playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs while we watch them on television as well. So that's kind of the level that they bring to the game and how much they prepare. And it's a well-knit group. It's kind of a a good mix of uh, everything. They have obviously a veteran heavy lineup. They have, you know, experienced 20 year old vets. They have a lot of 19 year olds, which they always say you got to have those to win championships. So, Obviously, it's a win-now approach, rightfully so. They're, they're going for Memorial Cup. But I think what I learned from it, uh, from that perspective, is just how much there was no taking the foot off the gas. Like, that was a team that when they were up, and the example you just threw out was that game four loss to kind of get swept was a little bit of a deflator from a Portland perspective. Because, you know, the Winterhawks think, okay, let's have a good first period like we have been in the, in the series. And all of a sudden, it just flips on a dime, and it's 3 nothing in a heartbeat. And all of a sudden, you're going, oh, boy, this, this could get out of hand quick. Uh, but but I'll give Portland a lot of credit. They fought back. They got it back within one. They headed to the intermission. You knew that that next goal in the second period uh, was going to be important. Portland didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, Kamloops just took that momentum again and foot down to the, on the throttle. So, um, you know, they had that pull away speed. And it's interesting because now they're going to face Seattle. I'm sure we'll touch on this in a little bit. But it's the two teams, the WHL, that won twice via sweep. So mm-hmm. both well-rested. From what I saw in the lineups, I think everyone's 100%. I know Kamloops was missing maybe one of their bottom pair D-men for the series against Portland, uh, but Seattle got all their players back previously before they took on Prince George. And I don't think I heard of anything going on in their fourth game when they swept uh, the Cougars, but it's interesting because those two teams can score. I'll tell you that. And then you look at it statistically and they have the two best goaltenders in the WHL playoffs as well. So that's a scary recipe. Well, and since we're basically comparing them head to head, we might as well just keep going with it. I mean, you, you gave us a really good rundown of the Kamloops Blazers. You've seen Seattle even more uh, than Kamloops yep. over the course of this season. And, and that roster has changed a lot over the course of the year as well. I mean, they made a lot of additions uh, down the stretch uh, at the deadline and uh, and throughout the the, uh, the schedule this year. I think a lot of people would be picking them in this series, and yet Kamloops is so good. Size up this matchup. These are two juggernauts going head to head. No, you're exactly right. I, I honestly don't know how to pick one. This one might almost be just take a take a dart and throw it on a board and, and just ride with it and just enjoy this one. Um, I'm, I'm going to honestly enjoy it, too, from an outside perspective. But from Seattle, it's interesting because the makeups of their team, they're both extremely deep. They have good defense. I'd probably give the edge there on the defensive front to Seattle in terms of, like, true good 
solid defensemen. Um, but I think they could both attack in different ways, which is going to make them very intriguing for this, for this third round in the conference final. Both can score on the power play. And Seattle is a little interesting because it almost seems like their microcosm of the playoffs is different than what they did during the regular season. And what I mean there is you get a Dylan Gunther, who I know you're very well familiar with. He's one that went, I don't want to say under the radar, but they had so many scoring options during the regular season. And I don't know if he just flipped a different switch and all of a sudden his shot was going in. I noticed instantly, like everyone, when you see him live, because I only keep in mind, I only got to see Dylan Gunther live one time in person. It was when he was a 16-year-old when Edmonton played Portland uh, because I missed it because of the COVID year. So yeah. then I get to follow on the highlights and I get to watch a couple of games here and there, you know, as he goes to the 17, 18, 19-year-old season. Then he, then he leaves, of course, to go to Arizona. I'm like, ah, shoot. You know, this would have been the chance to be able to see him again had he stuck. Um, and then when he comes back to Seattle, now I'm thinking, okay, well, now I get to see him at least 10 times, it felt like. Um, and, and his shot is just elite. And I think all of a sudden now pucks are starting to find him in a good spot. He's, he's that true playoff gamer. So the one stat that I find so interesting is how balanced their team scoring was in the regular season. Obviously you had a couple you know, players shine, but now all of a sudden it's Dylan Gunther, 10 goals in eight games. And the next closest to him is Jared Davidson, one of their captains with five. <laughs> so he's more than doubled the scoring. Him and, him and Lambert, who were two of the latest deadline acquisitions essentially for that team you know they didn't really know about the Lambert deal coming to fruition they made the trade with Saskatoon way and it feels like months ago now but um, you know not knowing that Manitoba would send back him to Seattle and then conversely sending Chaz Lucius to Portland in that same transaction that was almost the boost that Seattle needed just to kind of have that confidence going again I, I you know I can give credit to to Seattle I think they managed their team well because it's just like what Kamloops did against Portland in round two they didn't have to go top-heavy. You didn't have to always throw out Stankovic's line. Then if he's not out there, put Hofer's line out there. They got to roll just four lines, keep it consistent, give everyone their time, keep the legs fresh, and just carry on with business. So they both share that in similarity. Um, but, <laughs> boy, gee, this one could be an attacking, attacking Western final. And it's honestly kind of a shame that only one of these two teams is going to be able to advance out of the round. It'll be more interesting if Kamloops beats Seattle – because that's almost more where the storyline is going to come in. Because if Seattle beats Kamloops, in a way, you're kind of going, meh, okay, Kamloops gets to chill for, let's call it an extra month. They'll get to train and get ready for the Memorial Cup. But if Seattle gets bounced, they're done. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's Kamloops eyeing up the winner of Winnipeg and Saskatoon. And then that's when the jaws are going to start to drop in the WHL. Right. Because there hasn't been that moment yet. It's the four teams that all scored 100 points in the regular season still alive. But I know you and I are looking with our jaw on the ground and the OHL and what's going on there. And, yeah. uh, you know, neither of the two favorites are, are still alive in the playoff come their conference finals. Sticking with uh, this series for a second, I'm wondering if one of the big – well, I think there are two big uh, keys to the series. Goaltending, for one, and that you could almost say that about every series. But when you compare the two teams, it's interesting. Seattle goes basically with a platoon system all season, and now in the playoffs right. it's only Thomas Millich. Um, and we've seen like Saskatoon has been that that team all season, but both of their goalies are playing in the playoffs. So it's it's interesting to see how teams handle that. But head to head, just between Kamloops and Seattle, who who do you think has the edge in net? Oh, that's also another tough one. Uh, guts Guts going to instantly say Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, just from the perspective of seeing these two teams play and just kind of what their goaltending situation does. You know, here's here's. Uh, 
Dylan Ernst, who came up against Portland, he still still got a shutout in game two, locked down Portland at times, but at, also gave up some decent rebounds to the team and had to get some little some more support in front of him. So I feel like even Portland, you know, which doesn't have the amount of depth as uh, as a Seattle team will, they had enough to kind of create some trouble in front of them. And Portland still scored, what, four goals in, in game four. They still got four goals in on the game one loss. So they, they found a scoring touch. So did Seattle against Kamloops during the regular season. So I'd probably give the slight edge there, even based on the playoff numbers, too, to, to Thomas Millich. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's almost one now. And I, I don't mean there's any rude, but it's good. You know, it might come off that way, but it's just these are two elite teams. And it's Thomas Millich is kind of a goaltender right now who could almost steal a game. But Dylan Ernst hasn't been put in a spot where he needs to because the attack has been so effective for Kamloops all season long. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it could be a coin flip, but my gut's slightly putting me for sure towards Thomas Millich. I think all of his experience, too, being just a little bit older, uh, the extra year might help him, too. Uh, and, and obviously going in international stage, like in the Hockey Canada, and being able to win gold medal there, that's only going to give you so much more confidence. So uh, he's kind of got a little bit of the intangibles going. He came out of this and went to the Western Conference Final last year against Edmonton when maybe they weren't the favorites at the time to win, but they got healthy at the right time. So he's been in those shoes before. And you have to keep in mind last year, it was Dylan Garand. So this is kind of the first run for, for Ernst. So I think Millich has the edge on paper and statistically, but you never know because of how good these two teams are. I think they're kind of both very much a, a by-the-feel goaltender. So if they play well in their first two games, then that's who's going to be your best goaltender throughout the series. The other big factor I'm looking at, Nick, is uh, the special teams and power play for both of these clubs. Unbelievable. Small sample size because it's only been eight playoff games, but both teams are clicking at over 40% on the power play, which is just <laughs> that's stupid. Uh, now, Seattle's got a, their penalty kill has been really good. Kamloops is only at around 70% right now in the postseason. Right. Uh, I wonder how much right. special teams could be a factor here. I think they will. Uh, Guy, this is one thing that's also kind of like we talked about before with Gunther, and I don't know what changed from regular season to postseason, but Seattle's numbers in the power play during the regular season, for whatever godly reason, they weren't great. They were good, but I always want to say they were like 20%, but it's like, okay, they're 12th in the league. You know, like they're basically just dead middle of the pack. They right. weren't really flashing two or three or four power play goals a night. Kamloops a little bit of the same, but they got hot when they made all their acquisitions. They were kind of already trending in that right direction. And I feel the one thing for Kamloops I could tell from the personal perspective from the playoff side, that was a scary good power play. I mean, there were two games they started two for two or three for three on the power play. And Portland's penalty kill, mind you, is a top five penalty kill during the regular season. Like, this is not a bad PK unit. Like, Mike Johnson at the post-game press conference was like, we have a young defense, we recognize we have a young defense, but like that was what our strength was during the season. And they were able to pick Portland apart in the power play because they come from so many different angles. They have a, they have a half-board design. They have the point shot with Zellweger. They got the great net front with Kiefer. You could shoot with Stankov, and like They are lethal everywhere. So it's not like, well, let's funnel them to the boards, keep everything on the perimeter, nothing's going to happen. Because if you do that, all of a sudden the down-low option becomes available, and then I'm sure if you're, you know, if you're Brian Pellerin on, on the Portland bench, you're probably trying to head scratch and think, what do I got to do to change? Like, I'm trying to make adjustments, but I just can't, you know, I can't combat what they do. Um, and I think that's kind of the same for Seattle, too, because they're really good. They have two good, good power play lines as well. Penalty kill was interesting because during the regular season, I got more of a sample against Seattle. I feel like Portland was able to find some power play goals against both these teams, but especially with Seattle, like the power play would kind of be a game changer. Whenever the Winterhawks got a power play goal against the T-Birds, in the regular season, it just gave them that extra jolt to give them a good four or five minutes after that. So 
I don't know if that's carried through necessarily. This is me speaking honestly. I've, I haven't even had a chance to watch a Seattle playoff game yet mm-hmm. because they've either been playing the same time as Portland or it's just been like, well, I'm traveling up to Kamloops. So I really don't want to, you know, I, I can't turn them on now. I just got to get ready for my own stuff tomorrow. So I don't know exactly from the you know video perspective outside of highlights what's changed for them. But again, personnel is unbelievable on these two teams. I think maybe you can count up to, what do you think it is, the 18 players who will be drafted in the NHL by this summer? Like, it, it's insane. <laughs> Yeah, these two teams are absolutely stacked. It's going to be a, a fantastic series. I hope people have a chance to watch it uh, on both sides of the border. That would be awesome. We got another series to talk about, though, and that's the Winnipeg Ice against the Saskatoon Blades. And and funny, because in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the four top teams are the four teams remaining uh, in their uh, in their uh, playoffs. Same thing here in the WHL. Not the same in the OHL, as you alluded to uh, a minute ago, but... Uh, the Saskatoon Blades were the number three seed coming in, but only because the number two seed, Red Deer, was in the opposite, uh, the other division. Uh, but when it came to the head-to-head battle, Saskatoon had home ice advantage. And that worked in their favor because they won game seven. I wonder how much of a factor that's going to be, that they played they played 14 games to this point, whereas Winnipeg, I think, has played 10. But when you look at these two teams, and I know you haven't seen a ton of them in person this year, uh, what do you make of these uh, these two clubs? both really well coached a lot of talent as well clearly they they shine during the regular season for many different reasons on paper of course you can kind of look and say well Saskatoon and and from the sample size I got they were a terrific defensive team I thought they were able to really combat good fast offenses and they kept them quiet during the game and obviously my Portland example might be the easiest one but it's a Winterhawks team that probably likes to take 30 35 shots a game and I was calling that, that one alongside less in Saskatoon. And I'm looking at the scoreboard at the end of one period. And I think the shots were like six to four. And I'm going, <laughs> oh boy, here we go. You know, like there's just nothing on the ice available. But it's just a resilient club. I've loved listening to, you know, Sonny and his post game and, and kind of what's come out from this team's adversity and being able to handle it. I mean, they survived five elimination games yeah. already. That is unbelievable. Amazing. So. I mean, clearly, the, 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 you know, the, the record speaks for itself, too. What, the third team ever to come, come back from a 0-3 deficit in a series? Um, so it's a little interesting. They're kind of cut from two different cloths, which makes it a little bit different than what the Kamloops-Seattle series is going to look like. I think it's all firepower. It's, you know, it's a full buy now. Let's, let's, let's take our high-end draft picks that we acquired because we didn't have as good of a season a few years ago. Let's load them up. Let's bring in, a, you know, Lucas Sajkowski, who's did well over a point per game last year and in Vancouver in the postseason, let's take our two top end NHL forwards and throw in a couple more depth pieces and get them rolling. Um, but they've, you know, they've had a little bit of a scare, I guess you could say. I kind of look back at it too, and I did tune into the overtime game uh, in Game Four, and that was one where you're thinking, oh boy, like if Moose Jaw would have gotten that one, and they went up three to one, what would have Winnipeg done? So that was their only real. I mean, it's hard. I'm not living in it, though, either. But I would say that's your one true adversity moment they had. Mm-hmm. Can they get that big win when they needed to? They did. If you rewrite the scripts and they didn't, what happens? Is this Moose Jaw against Saskatoon going for the Eastern Conference Final? It very well could be. Um, but it's, it's scary. Like, when I, when I saw Winnipeg in person, at the time, I thought they were ahead uh, offensively than both Kamloops and Seattle. That was just a team that played with so much speed. They were connected. They were just zooming up the ice. Everything was north-south quickly. And I was, you know, it felt like a two-on-one every two seconds, which 
it feels like if I'm doing it in Portland, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm usually calling Portland doing the two-on-ones in transition. So it kind of flipped my script a little bit too on the broadcast, and they, they were clicking on all cylinders. It was a team homecoming for Portland players, and Winnipeg just came to play that game. So from the samples I've seen both in person and a little bit online, it's interesting because they have the firepower. And now it might, I don't know if it comes to this question, but you know, 10 playoff games versus 14 playoff games where you had to survive, like which one prevails? Maybe that'll be an easy line, but you also alluded to it earlier, Guy, and maybe it's goaltending is going to be the answer because I thought both Chadwick and Elliott were two of the best goaltenders they were statistically in the Western League. You know, the numbers dropped off a little bit just because of the craziness of playoffs, but they've obviously trusted their guys and it's worked for them clearly. You know, it may not be the prettiest way, but they've gotten the job done. Uh, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do because this is their, what, first chance in 25 years maybe to win the East, um, which is going to be kind of exciting for Saskatoon. Their their fan base has been terrific. So that's kind of another one that I'm looking forward to, just grabbing the popcorn, putting on the dual screens, and checking out both these series. I, I know I know you didn't get to see Winnipeg uh, maybe at all last year. I'm trying to remember if uh... – no, probably not, right? No crossover last year. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. No, nothing last year. Well, when I look at this year's Winnipeg Ice team compared to last year, I think they really learned a lesson going up against Edmonton in the conference final last year because the Oil Kings beat them in five. And it was it wasn't because Winnipeg didn't have the skill. They just they didn't have they were small, they were very fast and could move the puck, but they were small. This year I think they addressed that. They went out and all the guys they brought in have size. Uh, Zach Ostopchuk, six foot three. Even when they pick up Carson Lattery, he's not the most physical guy in the world, but he's six one, six two. They uh, Graham Sward, six three on the back end. That kid plays. Uh, he's on the ice. You know, you either got Lam- Carson Lambos or Sward on the ice. Seems like all game long. Um, so, yep. I think they really addressed the one sort of air quotes weakness that the, this team has uh, by going out and getting some bigger, tougher, grindier players to go with uh, some of their smaller skill. And they have a ton of skill. Oh, my gosh. Zach Benson is a thrill-a-minute player. I mean, he's look where he finished in team scoring this year and how many offensive players and weapons that club has. Uh, Winnipeg is going to be a hard out for sure. But that Saskatoon Blades team, man, they are resilient. You go. It's an emotional series against the Regina Pats. It's an arch rival. You're playing Connor Bedard. You have to come from behind. And they do it. They win. And I wonder... Okay, is that it for them? Is that their playoffs? You know, they, they, they managed to slay that beast. How do they get up and do it again in round two? And then they get off to a slow start. Slow start. I mean, they're down three games to none. And in the fourth game, they were down in that one as well. And yet they still find a way to come back. They're, they're like the Undertaker in the wrestling. They just get up <laughs> off the mat. You can't put these guys down. And I think Brendan Sonny has done a fantastic job uh, with the, uh, the Sassoon Blades this year behind the bench. And... I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm picking Winnipeg to win the series, but I, there's a part of me, a large part of me, that won't be surprised if Saskatoon pulls it off again. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that's very well said. I can agree with everything, especially the, uh, you know, the added height that they had because I feel like that was one too when I saw them live in person this year. I, I remember last year's run tuning into Winnipeg and Edmonton a little bit, but obviously, you know, from your side, you wouldn't mind that, but a little bit of a snoozer for me because it's like, well, okay. I thought it was going to be a little bit more exciting, and, and yeah. Edmonton was just next level. They knew how to pull away from that one. It was kind of what I told about Kamloops. They were just, you know, foot on the gas pedal, here we go. Like, no stopping us. Let's let's keep the train moving. Um, but even, like, the third and fourth line players when they were there, maybe they wouldn't play the same minutes of even, like, Connor McLennan, right, and the Savoys and the Geekies and all them. Benson, I thought Benson 
like like you said, he was definitely the the eye catcher of of the bunch. I thought him and Savoy were the two that were pretty easy to to pull away from. Uh, but you know, even even their third and fourth line players, six three, six two, six four. I'm I'm right there with you. I felt that same thing too. When Portland played him in person. Um, I, I guess if I were a uh, if I were a betting man, I'd probably join you. I feel like this one's gonna be oh, this one's gonna be so hard for me to even predict. But I, I would say Winnipeg probably makes it out as well. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think either of these series will be a sweep, which will be exciting for the WHL product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the West side, Ooh, this might be the hardest one. Cause I have the, you know, I get the, uh, understanding of these teams a little bit more seeing them all in person at least eight times. Um, I think we're going to go just in the best of seven. I think Seattle's going to have the X factor to get through this one, but it's going to be very close. I think the only reason I'm saying that is because you have like, you know, you acquire a guy like a Dylan Gunther who's done this with Edmonton. Plus, you get their you know, main unit back from last season who's gone this far. The Schaefers, the Sionas, Korchinski when he was a rookie, the Millich. Like, I think that might be enough to get him over the, over the hump. But, uh, again, we'll see. That would be interesting, though, because this is where you get the bracketology and you have some fun. Uh, but regardless, one, you know, two phenomenal teams are going to be bounced and two teams are going to move on. And maybe one team could end in a heartbreak game seven, kind of like what happened there with Red Deer, because that was another phenomenal team, too. They just played a different brand of hockey, but I think they deserve a lot of credit because of how you know tough they played, physical they played. They had the scoring touch. They had the depth and goaltending like it was they, they had a great year, too. So it's it's crazy how teams can. You know, literally in the course of two or three days, it's like season's over. Thanks for playing. Yeah, I'm going to go with Winnipeg as well, and I'll take Seattle in the uh, in the West, uh, largely because of experience. I mean, they got to the final last year, so every returning player knows what it takes. Uh, plus, they picked up a couple of Oil Kings, who obviously are defending champions. Uh, so I I think they've got that experience on their side, and and maybe that's enough. And and uh, but I won't be surprised if we eventually see Seattle and Kamloops in a in a national championship game at the Memorial Cup. Put it that way. Uh, and lastly, as a, from a broadcasting perspective, how about this for Les Lazarek? A first time in his career he's ever been this far in the playoffs. I mean, that, I that's that. a reason to cheer for Saskatoon right there. One hundred percent agree. One thousand percent agree. Always love my conversation with Les, both in person at the rinks, which again is sad for me. I just finished up my fifth year in Portland because kind of the COVID situation. I think I only saw him three times ever yeah. in a game day situation, but he was always one of the friendliest guys to run across. Definitely be cheering for him and, and having some great calls. And, you know, it's, it's crazy like that. The, the Chagru, what do you do? is going to be in my head for a while when I hit the pillow tonight. So, it's, you know, he's had some iconic calls too in this playoff run. I'm just excited he gets to kind of, get those fun playoff jitters for playing for a conference championship. And, uh, you know, honestly, like you said, it'd be fun to see Les being able to call Saskatoon in the WHL finals as well. Nick, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show like this. And for the listeners, they don't know it, but it's uh, very late right now as we're chatting on a, uh, a Wednesday <laughs> night, uh, almost midnight my time. So I really appreciate the, you doing that. And uh, for those who haven't uh, had a chance to uh, hear Nick call a game for the Winterhawks, uh, you're missing out. Uh, Nick, you do a fantastic job. A real credit to the WHL and all the broadcasters here. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I love tuning in and listening to you call games. Gee, I really appreciate you as well. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, let's enjoy these playoff runs around the CHL and always enjoy tuning into your Pipeline show whenever it comes out. So appreciate all the work you put in as well. And, of course, the one and only Nick Merrick, the voice of the Portland Winterhawks, a great preview of what's to come here in the conference finals in the Western Hockey League. You heard our picks. Let me know what your picks are. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS 
underscore Guy. And hey, do you want to see the Memorial Cup being played in one of the U.S. cities in uh, the Western Hockey League too? We'll see it in Michigan next year as the Saginaw Spirit. I get that honor. Uh, I would like to see it, whether it's, I don't care, if it's Portland, Seattle, Everett, whatever. Spokane, Tri-City, don't want to leave anyone out. But I think any of them uh, deserve it. I, I was telling Nick before we we hit the record button, sometimes I feel like the U.S. teams in the CHL kind of get forgotten about a little bit. And he mentioned it. It probably has a lot to do with sponsorship dollars and things like that for a CHL event. A little bit different when you're uh, playing outside of Canada. But still, they are members of the CHL. And some of them have been long-standing members of the CHL. Almost feels like they're treated as second-class citizens. The red-headed stepchild. So I hope that changes. All right, we got one more segment to go this week. Jordan McAlpine from The Rink Live is going to be my guest as we look at the USHL playoffs. What a bizarre... It's, it's just... It's really weird. Their playoffs started with a best-of-three first round... And they didn't start it on a weekend. In fact, it started three days ago, and round two starts almost immediately. In fact, for one team, they played Wednesday, advanced to the second round, which starts for them on Friday. Jordan McAlpine and I get into it next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Matthew Wood, part of the University of Connecticut. Power play is over. Teams are five aside. Sent out front. Score! The freshman, Matthew Wood, and UConn has finally dented the brick wall that is Jakob Dobush. I'm here with the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. And we're back on the Pipeline Show, and we got one final segment to go as we're going to look at the uh, USHL playoffs and uh, get an update on uh, the first round is already come and gone. Lightning quick. three. It was a best of three in the USHL and started on a Monday, which was bizarre. Uh, and all three games, if it went three, played in consecutive days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, for a full round of the playoffs in the USHL. Bizarre. But uh, to give us a recap on what happened, we're uh, going south. Jordan McAlpine from The Rink Live uh, joins me once again. Jordan, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, good. I, I was going to say, uh, blink and the playoffs will go by in the USHL, it seems like, with uh, the, the schedule format. But no, it's uh, appreciate you having me on as always. It's, uh, it's a fun time of year and a lot going on in, uh, in the USHL and, and junior hockey as a whole. Well, I, I, for the listeners' benefit, we were going to do this on I think was it Tuesday? Yeah, it was. It was Tuesday, supposed to be, and it, in my head, it was because we we're going to set up the first round of the playoffs, which I thought would start on a Friday, like normal. You want to get as much attendance as possible, 
uh, you do it on a Friday instead of on a Monday night. Any idea why the league started so bizarrely? Yeah, no, that's a that's a whole other can of worms to open up for for another day, I guess. But uh, the, the the schedule format for the USHL, uh, my, myself included in that, is uh, trust me, a, a head scratcher for a lot of people around the league, and yeah. definitely frustrating. From uh, you look at all the all the other sister leagues, if you want to say it that way, with uh, around junior hockey, either best of best of five minimum, if not best of seven, that. Uh, the USHL, you, you play 62 games and your reward is one, one day off and you go straight into a, a three-game series. And if, uh, if you're the road team and fortunate to win, you, you look at Cedar Rapids or uh, Dubuque last night, you, you've got a day or two off respectively and you're right back on the road for another three-game series. So it's, uh, it's definitely uh, – I'll, I'll be interested to see going forward what, uh, what that playoff format looks like and if any changes are made. But uh, with the, the three games set for for teams, especially at this the second round of a playoff, not to have a home game, and you, you mentioned the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, home ice kind of goes out the window at at that stage. It feels like with the the lack of energy and atmosphere in some of the buildings, and with the uh, even the logistical side of it. I mean, teams were playing Friday, Saturday, right before that, and hopping on a bus and expected to perform at their best. But it's a uh, definitely interesting it's for for a league that wants to pride itself and have uh be recognized as the, the top for junior hockey and development and everything like that you would uh you'd expect a little bit different of a uh, playoff format i would think but here we are yeah it to me it's crazy i'll i don't want to get you in trouble so i'll i'll say it i think it's ridiculous that teams played at the end of the regular season at the end of last week then had a day off maybe maybe two and then if you're Cedar Rapids, mm-hmm. you play three games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You have Thursday off, and then you've potentially got three more games in four days. They could play six games in eight days, and I don't know if they played uh, at the end of the regular season. They, they might – I mean, that's that's too much. That's dangerous uh, for the uh, health of players. Uh, I think that's irresponsible of the league, to be quite honest. Yeah, no, that's – I mean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head on that one. And, I mean, you look at Cedar Rapids' schedule, that – um, they, they played a home and home right before that to uh, to close out the season. So you know you, you can tack two more two more games onto that. Uh, That's crazy. That schedule in a, in a nine ten day stretch, whatever that would equate to. But you look at it too. I, I mean, Cedar Rapids obviously to uh, to Plymouth is is not a, uh, not an easy drive by any stretch of the imagination. And then uh, now you you greeted with one day off and heading further east to Youngstown, Ohio. So uh, it's from a, from a logistical standpoint, I, I know it's not it's not easy, and there's so many different moving balls and parts involved in uh, in pulling this all off. But there's uh, there's definitely room to uh, to improve. I, I would say is is the best way to put it, or, or make changes. And even in a 62 game season, uh, you wonder what areas they're already either cut back games or shift the schedule around. And I mean. More playoffs is better for everyone, I would think, in that aspect to uh, to expand the series and give more teams a chance to host. Yeah. Well, it, it just seems like it's a league that's always gone out of its way to make sure, okay, we're not playing too many games in too uh, close of a time. I mean, they play – it's a weekend league, right? There's not a whole lot of games yep. on Tuesdays and Thursdays and, and things like that until the playoffs. And then at the most important time of the year, let's uh, ride these kids till they're exhausted. I don't know. It just it yeah. seems – Silly. All right. Let's get to the hockey, though. The first round is come and gone. 
might as well start with Cedar Rapids because that was the big upset in the first round, right? Yeah, no, Cedar Rapids uh, got the job done in Plymouth. I know they uh, six seed, which in the the USHL, just for fans that aren't familiar, a uh, sixteen team league that they uh, take the top six in each conference. Uh, one and two get a bye on each side, three, six, four, five matchups. That uh, Cedar Rapids is the sixth seed there and became the uh, the first lower seed to uh, to get get the job done, I guess, if you want to put it that way in the playoffs. I know uh, Dubuque followed suit pretty shortly uh, thereafter. But Cedar Rapids goes up into Plymouth, takes game one, 5-2 on Monday night. Um, the NTDP in a, a wild game Tuesday responds. Uh, they, they scored two goals in the final final four minutes, I want to say it was, to, uh, to take a 6-4 win. And then uh, Cedar Rapids responds again last night with a 3-1 win. Art Lobbins, who is a uh, forward for Latvia, um, scores two goals there to give Cedar Rapids a win. And Cedar Rapids' lineup uh, relied on its forwards that kind of carried them down the stretch there to get into the playoffs. And here again, they uh, they pull off the upset, if, uh, if you want to put it that way, over a, a talented U-17 lineup. Well, it's uh, always interesting, and for the listeners, they got to remember that the National Development Program, the, the the larger team, the U18s, they're all overseas right now playing in the World U18, uh, so it was just the U17s. Uh, and I know a couple of the, the bigger players from the U17 went to uh, Switzerland with the U18s, so did the National Development Program have some reserve players that they were able to bring in uh, for this playoff? Yeah, they uh uh, Iserman, Cole Iserman is obviously the, the the big name that jumps off the the page of hockey fans with the the guys getting bumped up to the uh, yeah the eighteen team there and um they there's three of them that have been playing there over the the course of the last two months of the season so I uh, I don't know how much you can <laughs> consider them part of the the U seventeen team at at uh, this rate of the season but no they uh the U seventeen lineup still um obviously Max Plants up there um. You saw last night the up and down their lineup getting. I know they only had the one goal, but they're they're still rolling rolling the lines and had the talent coming off there. Um, and I I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you you play the full course of a season. The NTDP kids, both the 18s and the 17s, are getting their share of USHL games. That uh, the 18s can't compete in the playoffs is part of the the agreement that's made with it. So yeah. it's uh. The U17 kids are kind of kind of put in a tough position in some regards to, uh, to carry the workload from there, but at the same time, they uh, they're no strangers to the USHL over the course of the season, so they uh, they're they're used to it and they go straight into the playoffs. Well, there's a couple other guys who are over at the World U18 as well, uh, but thankfully for them, their regular season team got a bye through the first round. I'm thinking of uh, Max Celebrini with uh, the Chicago Steel, who uh, the Steel didn't have to play uh, earlier this week. Uh, now, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be back in time for the uh, second round, or at least the start of the second round. Uh, when Chicago starts, when on Friday or Saturday? Chicago starts on Saturday. They play a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series against Dubuque. Uh, that that's, I guess, that's the interesting storyline heading into this season or this weekend. And obviously, a lot of that's going to depend on uh, how how Canada fares t- today and this weekend as we record this on Thursday. That uh, the the Celebrini obviously had the season he did, and that's a big boost to lineup coming back at this point. If you're Chicago, I uh, I don't know if you can count on him being back for this weekend, just with the, the travel and obviously Canada's potentially going to be competing for a medal over there. Um, but if if Chicago were to advance out of this second round here, I I think you're more than likely targeting a a later return in the playoffs. But 
Chicago. I mean, you look up and down that lineup, Jaden Perron, mm-hmm. Jack Harvey, Michael Emerson, Quinn Finley. I, I can keep going on and on. The uh, the rich are still pretty rich in that uh, situation that even without Macklin Celebrini, there's uh, no, no easy task for them going up against that lineup and trying to slow them down. All right, the other uh, series on that side of the bracket has Youngstown against uh, the upstart Cedar Rapids uh, Rough Riders. Are the uh, the Phantoms just going to be too much, though, for the Rough Riders, especially considering how much hockey Cedar Rapids has played here over the last week? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it, heading into it. But I think the other uh, thing, maybe not as much Youngstown is going to be too much, but Jacob Fowler, um, his phenomenal season in the USHL for Youngstown, one of, if not the top goalie prospect coming out into this year's draft of the USHL. That uh, kid led the league in save percentage, goals against, wins. Um, his shutouts were tied to the league lead. And you look down the stretch, uh, obviously at this time of year, ho- hockey fans know a hot goalie can steal you not only a game, but a series. That uh, Jacob Fowler did exactly that in the regular season, that you'd expect that to carry over. And you, uh, you said it yourself, Cedar Rapids with the workload that they've had throw in a hot goalie on top of that and obviously Youngstown lineup has uh, has the weapons especially William Whitelaw another uh, talented rookie that mm-hmm. maybe got overshadowed a little bit by Celebrini but at the same time uh, the numbers don't lie with the kid that you throw all those factors in that I do think Youngstown uh, probably is going to be a little bit too much uh, too much to handle in that series. Uh, the other side in the uh, the West, we've got Waterloo against Lincoln and Fargo against Tri-City. I think both of those series could be pretty entertaining. Uh, let's start with uh, Fargo and Tri-City. It's uh, the number one ranked uh, Fargo force, and uh, they're the top team in the uh, USHL this year. So if uh, they, the two number one seeds met, it would be Fargo with home ice advantage. Um, size up that matchup for me, though, Fargo against Tri-City. Yeah, no, that, that's an interesting one. I know uh, over the past month of the season, Fargo, uh, at least results-wise in the standings, probably uh, not the finish that they'd hoped for, but at the same time, it's even a, a further uh, gives you further appreciation for the regular season they put together that able to stumble and still finish that where they did. That uh, I know they, they closed out the regular season with a couple wins. You look up and down that lineup, not only talent, but a lot of experience. And at, at this time of year especially, we know uh, how important that is to come into play. And you, you look at them, had success on home ice. You get the Anderson Cup. You have the number one seed. I mean, uh, all, all all the all the things you could hope for are there. And now it's uh, now it's up to them to take advantage uh, and go up against the hot Tri City team. And I mean, to throw it in there too, not only is Tri City coming off uh, a sweep of Sioux City in the playoffs, but it's a team that's had success against Fargo uh, about a month ago. Granted, in Kearney, so the the home ice might throw a wrench into this, but Tri City swept a three game series. You you look up and down Tri City's lineup, especially their forward group might potentially be the best in the league. Trevor Connolly, Jake Richards up there, Alex Bump, Graham Gamash. The the list goes on and on. That uh, you've you've got a clash of uh, of two loaded teams that both of which want to go on a deep run, and I. Uh, you use the word entertainment. I think that's a, an understatement for both series in the Western Conference. I'm going to ask you about Alex Bump because, uh, well, on one hand, I'm a Flyers fan, so I know uh, I always have an interest <laughs> in, in following the Flyers' prospects. But he was a player who was acquired by a trade uh, from uh, the Omaha Lancers earlier this season, and it was for a lot of assets. There were a couple of players and five or six draft picks or something like that. Has he been for Tri-City what they hoped he would be? I, I think he was banged up a little bit down the stretch too, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he, he dealt with some stuff um, he, even there shortly after the trade when he first got there. But I do have to say, um, I, I think I think the change of scenery benefited him well, obviously, uh, with with how the season was going in Omaha with uh, the Lancer struggles there. That I, I do know the, the cliche new lease on life probably kicked in. And you look at the, the lineup that he got inserted into with guys around him um, production-wise, uh, I, I want to say he scored in three, I don't have the number in front of me, but three or four Tri-Cities final games, or final five games. Um, he's been a pr- consistent guy at the top of that lineup. He's contributing on the power play. You're looking at the guys around him that I think uh, I think it's elevated his game and by no means is, is the kid a finished product yet. But uh, I, I do think in hindsight, looking back at the trade, something that's uh, benefiting him not only this season, but in the long run too. All right, the other series is Waterloo against Lincoln. It's a number two against number three matchup. Uh, so on paper, it should be a good one. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I personally think that's going to be the, the best series in the league this weekend. Um, I, I know if you want to go off the regular season, Waterloo uh, kind of controlled that head-to-head matchup. But uh, the playoffs are a different beast. And you look at Lincoln coming in, um, they've they won 13 of their past 17 games, closed out the regular season on a high note. And then uh, this this past week with the playoff series, dominant win against Des Moines on Monday, trail by two goals in the third period, and come back to win in overtime Tuesday. That uh, just from watching Lincoln, I've gotten a chance to see him multiple times over the past month or so here. There's a there's something something different about that group watching him. That uh, I don't know. Going on the road here, obviously Waterloo's lineup is, is very deep. You look at Amiko Matika, Shifsky at the top of that. Their decors potentially the best in the league, especially depth-wise. Then you add some young guys to that lineup, too, especially Gavin Thorson, um, big high school kid out of Minnesota, who's averaging over almost a point a game in the USHL right now. That uh, Each side has weapons going against each other. I, uh, of any of the series, I, I would expect we'll see that thing go to three games, but it's definitely going to be, uh, be two heavyweights, and at the same time, two teams that have battled back and forth this year, not only head-to-head, but in the standings, too. Would you be surprised if uh, any of the lower seeds advanced uh, to the to the conference uh, finals, or do you expect it's going to be Fargo, Waterloo, and Chicago, Youngstown? I I wouldn't be surprised, especially based on how the first round goes. Of of the four, I would probably say Lincoln's the one that uh, I'd, I'd be the least surprised with. Um, De- Dubuque too could be an interesting one. They they had success against Chicago this year, and obviously. Uh, here again, the the turnaround time and fatigue and all the other factors at this time of year, you, you never know. But uh, heading into there, obviously, it's not going to be an easy test by any means going up against uh, Chicago's lineup, especially in the offensive zone. But uh, at the same time, they've uh, they've already they've already taken down one uh, one higher seed. So uh, let, let's do it again, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. When we get to the uh, conference finals, it'll be a best of five. Tell me they're they're alternating locations though. They're not playing all five games potentially all five in one city, are they? No. It, it it's uh oh man, you're making me making me sound this. It's, it's uh two two one, I believe, or two three. So, okay. Hold on, I'll double check on that real quick. All right. Somewhat normal, at least. Uh, that, that's yeah. that's good to hear. And then uh, the championship, uh, the Clark Cup final, also uh, a best of five. Uh, it's so rapid. The, the, you're going to get through the league playoffs here. It starts this week, and uh, in three weeks it'll be done, basically, or four weeks. 
Uh, so it, it definitely moves uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Jordan, what do you guys have coming up uh, at the rink live uh, specifically for the USHL? But I know you're keeping tabs on the NAHL too, right? Yeah, no, I, I was going to say real quick too, uh, to get back to it, it is a, a 2-2-1 format for, okay. uh, for both the, the conference and championships. So, Thank you. A um, little, little bit more normal. But uh, no, going back to the, the rink live stuff, a lot of stuff on the horizon here. Um, obviously at this time of year, a bunch of preview stuff, team by team, um, with with each series throughout the USHL and the NHL, doing uh doing some team features too on top of it. I know for uh, for any NHL fans, had a had a piece on the the Maine and uh, New Jersey series, which uh, New Jersey's the defending champs there, and Maine won the first two games on the road and has a chance to take them down. So talked to uh, talked to both coaches and got some interesting stuff there. Um, and obviously at this time of year, not only on the ice, but we've got the draft coming up for the USHL. Obviously the NHL draft is a couple months away and it'll be here before we know it. So uh, a lot of player content, a lot of, uh, a lot of series previews and uh, for, for hockey fans, a lot of different stuff to pick from here. All right. I might have to get you on to talk about the USHL draft as well, because uh, again, very unique uh, compared to any other junior league out there, the way the USHL operates there their draft is stage one and stage two and all the, the the tender signings and things like that you'll have to educate me on how all of that works uh, jordan this is terrific though really appreciate your time uh, looking forward to having you on again yep thanks again appreciate it Guy. there's jordan mcalpine from the rink live with a uh, terrific setup of the four teams left in the ushl playoffs i still can't get over that this league ended the regular season and then immediately started the playoffs with no break at all. Like, take a week off. It's I'm flabbergasted that Cedar Rapids played a home-and-home home against Des Moines on Friday and Saturday, the 21st and 22nd of April, and then began a best-of-three, which went the distance. They started that on the 24th. So they played the 24th, 25th, 26th, and so they're off on the 27th, but they play on the 28th to start the second round. That's six games in eight days with travel. Inexcusable. Be better, USHL. Think about the health of your players. If I'm an agent for players or a family advisor, I'm livid. If I'm an owner of the Cedar Rapids uh, Rough Riders, I make the playoffs. I don't get a home date until potentially the third round. Livid. If I'm a fan... I want to see the best possible team I can on the ice. Guys are exhausted now. Also, I have to buy tickets for Monday, Tuesday night games instead of getting to go on a weekend. I am dumbfounded by the USHL, and their website is junk. It's a quality league. The level of hockey is really good. They're producing great players for the NCAA and many of who go on to have pro and NHL careers. But man, oh man, the USHL has some work to do. That's my take. Agree, disagree, let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks to everyone who has signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode. If that would interest you, go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Now, before next week's show, make sure you get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that we can talk about it right here on the pipeline show. It's brought to you by Will Hawk Beef Jerky. And my name is Gee Flaming. See ya, everybody.